but that approach, I think, leaves something out that's really important. And I think if you're using 100% toughness as a solution to everything, like everything's, I'm a hammer and everything's a nail. If you don't have the capacity for the full range of human emotions and you don't don't address traumas, I, it really leads to more trauma. Firehouse Vigilance presents The Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore. Firehouse Vigilance. It is weekly scrap number 227. My guest is Scott Hewitt. He is a 25-year second-generation backstep firefighter working for a larger urban fire department in southern Ontario, Canada. He's done everything from technical rescue to this peer support team, everything in between. In 2005, he had a very unique experience of participating in a one-year firefighter exchange with the New Zealand Fire Service stationed in Wellington. Currently, he works out of a two-truck haul with a pumper and an aerial and has a strong passion for the basics, patient care, mental health, and personal growth. I love that. That's like the quattro. Um, He has been producing and hosting the Multiple Calls podcast since February of 2018 with over 77 episodes and going strong. I do not shout out to many podcasts, but I absolutely give shouts out to the MCP. He instructs. He volunteers and just an all around passionate dude. It is my absolute pleasure to have you on as the guest of Weekly Scrap number 227. Welcome, my brother, Scott Hewlett. Pleasure to be here, man. Thanks. It's not lost on me uh, how much of a privilege this is. So I'm really grateful. I've learned a lot from you and who you've had on. And um, yeah, I'm really excited. Brother, I'm excited for the evening. I, I, I love when I get, uh, you know, I always send out the email saying, what do you want to talk about? And when I get something back as detailed as you sent, man, it makes my heart happy. So <laughs> it's, it's when you, uh, I know I can tell that you do this. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to read you a few uh, comments coming in, which there's a few of these as Hey, let's go. Eh? right. I, I guess. And that's just the Canadian uh, Rob. Thebert said, let's go with five exclamation points. Menden Fire tuning in. Taylor Watson said, Scott Hewlett is the man. Let's go. Solid Canadian brother. Good evening from Richmond Hill, Georgia, from Alan Glugowski. Checking in from Florida. Let's go from Cody Brooks, my man Cody. Uh, absolutely. Let's go with seven O's from Matt McAllister. Dirk Janiak says, Canada, eh? Question mark, exclamation point. Just so everybody's on tune. Let's go, eh? Let's go. I hope I'm getting my A's right. You'll have to, you'll have to correct me. A? 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 It's A. A. Pretty like A-Y? Yeah. Instead of the E-H. It, no, it's, it's, e, it's, it's spelled E-H, but it's said A. Okay. Like, with the letter A. Okay. I'm, I'm learning. Don't you know? There's a cocky said, don't you know? I'll say it enough during the podcast. You'll, you'll pick it up. I'll okay. See. Fair enough. I, I plan to learn. Uh, all that being said, is there anything I missed in the intro? Anything you would like to add? No. You did a great job. Thank you. Fair enough. Uh, audience, get your questions primed and ready. Kyle Romagus is here. If you if you can't get enough Kyle Romagus, he was on episode 77 of Multiple Cause Podcast just recently where he absolutely crushed it like he does. Oh, it's a good one. Oh, man. I, we were discussing who has the best voice in podcasting. We all agreed it's Kyle Romagus. It is Kyle Romagus. So, uh, 100%. Hands, hands down. He is here. Uh, he is so if you have questions for Scott or myself, please, please, please post them wherever you're watching from, and Kyle will post them to us, and we will we will absolutely address them. 
Uh, we're going to have some fun. Now let's talk about those beautiful, beautiful sponsors. The original, the OG sponsor of the scrap, Keyhose. You can check them out online at keyhose.com and follow them on Facebook. Of course, the affordable bailout prop. From the affordable drill tower, it is the affordable bailout prop. Firefighter owned and operated. The affordable bailout prop allows you to practice window bailouts using a personal escape system, ladder bailouts, or ladder high points. The affordable bailout prop can roll under any 12-foot overhead door so you can train on the apparatus floor or in the parking lot. Call Steve or Dennis at 844-55-TOWER or drop an email to info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Firefighter safety and accountability starts with being able to quickly find and identify individual firefighters operating on the fire ground. Identifier Fire Safety combines the best in photoluminescent materials for durable firefighter identification solutions that can glow for up to 20 hours with no switches, no batteries, which means being able to rapidly identify firefighters by name, unit, or assignment, even under hot fire conditions, all specifically designed and tested for the rigors of the job. Be seen on scene. Identifiersafety.com. And with that being said, I of course love Flame Decon. I always, I'll always support Flame Decon and their never-ending fight against cancer in the fire service. But all that being said, we're ready to kick it off. Scott, my man, are you ready? I'm ready. Uh, audience is hyped. I'm hyped. Um, you sent me so many things, and I'm just going to start with the first one you sent me because you talk about grit and vulnerability, two of my favorite things. But grit and vulnerability and applying required ratio of each to a given situation. I'm just going to throw us like, like that's a very broad topic, but I'm going to let you run with it. Sure. So the culture in our fire departments is the culture of the society that they exist in because they're filled with the same people. And then that's interwoven with the culture that's specific to the fire service uh, that we work in. And, you know, our cultures aren't that different actually right now, the American Canadian service um, cultures and, it's very divisive, right? Everyone's choosing or being forced to choose sides on like so many different things. And the fire service culture can amplify that. And it labels, you know, times in the past as old school and the current time as new generation. That causes a lot of friction. And I was actually just thinking recently about how I got in on 98. I think we're around the same. Yeah, 97 era. for me. So yes. If you think about it, we're actually old school to the, the current hires right now. Which is weird, right? Which is very weird because I'm still a very young person. Yeah, so I keep telling them I'm young, but they don't understand. What you and I deem old school is the guys we came up under, and, and right. what is deemed the new generation is what we're seeing right now. So you and I kind of straddle these two worlds at the same time, right? Um, we're like this bridge, and it's it's a, you know we have this unique perspective on both of them. And the old school that we deem old school, like they're held up or I guess sometimes vilified for being like stoic, hardened. You know, and it's very true. Like, it's absolutely true. Like, look at the events that were going on during that time and look at the how, the fires that they fought and how they fought those fires. And the old school attitude wasn't wrong either, right? They saw how much grit this job took. They realized it could kill you and how gruesome it could be. And and I honestly think they had really good intention and they were a very a practical generation, right? And they prioritized hardening people up to face it and get the work done. But that approach, I think, leaves a, something out that's really important. And I think if you're using 100% toughness as a solution to everything, like everything's, I'm a hammer and everything's a nail. Right. right? If you don't have the capacity for the full range of human emotions and you don't, don't address traumas, I, it really leads to more trauma. 
And then you look at this new generation and it's seen as like softer and more vulnerable and it's like tied to emotions. And again, it can be celebrated and vilified, depends on who you're talking to, right? And I actually don't think their approach approach is wrong either. So if you don't value, uh, like not valuing that this is, that it's also very dangerous. Uh, it's very dangerous for us as individuals, our fire family and our family at home in the communities we live in. Um, but choosing softness as a solution to everything is also harmful, right? Mm. Firefighting is still dangerous. If you can't rise to that reality, it's just harmful for everybody. If you have no capacity for grit, then everything you experience is traumatizing. Right? What I'm hoping to amplify is that the most effective and healthy firefighters, they see grit and vulnerability, or I've refer, referred to it as tough plus love. You know, it sort of exists on this spectrum. So each situation that you're going to find yourself in at work or your personal life is going to require a ratio of these two things, right? Sometimes it actually is 100% grit. Sometimes you just have to suck it up and get it done and do the work. So, but all that old school mentality, it's 100% true. Sometimes that's what it takes. But sometimes situations take 100% vulnerability, right? But most of the time, it's some combination or a ratio of both of those things, right? And it's, it's, it's really not a new idea. Like, I'm not creating this. It's just, it's just framing it in this way. If you want to talk about real old school, then the idea is actually found in the, that Chinese principle, the yin-yang. So when I do the presentation, I actually show the yin-yang. And that dates back to like third century BCE, right? Right. And in that simple symbol, it's dark and light. And it's actually not two semicircles. It's not 50% of each one. There's this wave in the middle and it kind of ebbs and flows, right? As a combination of both. As one decreases, another one increases. And there's light in the dark and dark in the light. And then you see that wave in the middle. And you could think about that wave in the middle as like this Buddhist concept uh, of the middle path, right? That's what we're actually on. We're on the middle path, right? And that's a ratio of both given whatever you're experiencing, like, you know, whatever you're facing, like I referred to. So I think a connected and balanced life isn't one on living on one end of that spectrum or the other, right? And labeling parts of ourselves and other people as bad and pushing them down because we don't understand their purpose and benefit, right? There's that saying, and I've heard you refer to it too, and I think I have about it's better to be a warrior in a garden, garden and a gardener in a war. Oh, absolutely. And like a cool way to expand on that is that the warrior needs to know how to tend and enjoy the garden. Right. right? So why not be a warrior and a gardener? I love it. I love why it. Can't we be both, right? And then, you know, Jordan Peterson talks about this, right? He talks about how a virtuous and good person is someone that knows how to be a monster and they learn how to control it, right? Right. He studied under Carl Jung and that, that he said about how, you know, how can I be substantial if I do not cast a shadow? I must have a dark side if I'm also to be whole. So it's about accepting this whole reality of the, as what it means to be a human being, right? So if we, I think if we really want to address doing this job well and address our part in the, like the mental health struggles in the fire service, we're going to have to be able to find a way to have the capacity for grit and vulnerability. So like, why can't we do both? I'm going to say, um, I'm trying to write down my notes and I, I'm, I'm, I'm failing already to reference uh, Buddhist philosophy, the yin and the yang, capacity for grit toughness and love Carl Jung and Jordan Peterson all in the first answer. You just set a bar. I'm not sure you can meet for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's great, man. I, and just so you know, uh, had, to, yeah, someone said, uh, late to the show LFG had to finish up episode 77 of multiple calls <laughs> and smoothbore cartel said, boom, timestamp. Uh, yeah, absolutely. This is, yeah. This is going to, this is, yeah, Robert Ramirez said, this is shaping out to be another Thinking Fireman's podcast. Strap in. No doubt about it, man. I'm pumped. Yeah, we're, you know, we, 
we always hear firefighters talk about how firefighting's gray, right? And it's it's always it's it's we shouldn't be saying always or never, right? Right. We can still really think in this very black and white way on so many things, right? No, it's beautiful. I love the concept, man. Because there is. Go ahead. And it doesn't have to be salty or, or snowflake, right? Like right. being this unfeeling robot and be, or being curled up in the fetal position, overwhelmed with your emotions. Those aren't your only options, man. Like it's, there's, there's more options than that. And, and if we're in ready mode all the time, uh, you know, that's, that's harmful to your, to your mental health. It's, and it's normalized behavior in, our, in the emergency services. And it, it appears on, on the service to be like super noble and inspiring and admirable. Um, but, I, you know, honestly, I think it's rooted in fear. I think it's fear of losing the ability to be a warrior when you're needed, right? If I truly relax and I soften, then I won't be able to flip the switch and, and be you know ready for action. So I always need to be ready. And you're also going to be seen as complacent, soft and weak. Um, and I think, honestly, we have this fear of not being needed, right? Like we maybe have this idea that the way we identify and gain love and approval and acceptance from people is being always ready. Always. Yeah. Right. So if I'm not that, then people aren't going to need me and I'm not going to be loved or needed. Right. And then I think there's a fear of confrontation. Like if we're always seen as the alpha, then no one's going to challenge us, right? If I'm always growling and grumbling, no one's going to question me. So I think all, all this thing is kind of like an avoidance and it's based on fear. And I think we got to let go of that. And I think that's what's going to make us a lot better. And, and the beautiful dichotomy of what you're saying is there's also a time for rub some dirt on it and be tough. Yeah, it, that, that's it's that's that's the key factor. Like the people got to hear in this, like everything that we hear guys talk about, about what this job takes. Like one of the phrases we use of the podcast is this job is not a joke and it is not a game. Like I'm about accountability standards, like the actual work that this takes. Like I'm about that. I'm about sucking it up and doing the work. I've been doing it long enough. I get it. Right. But I'm saying it's not the only part of this. And it's about thinking about ratios and applying the, the amount of each. And it's better for you. It's better for your colleagues. And it's going to be actually better for the people that you're helping. Right. Um, we got to be able to be there for the people that we want to help in the way in, in a real way. A lot of firefighters will say, well, and especially in interviews, well, I want to help people. Right. right. And, I, and I think uh, I think it was Lasky that was discussing this about med calls. Right. About how. Right. Well, I want to help people in the way I want to help them and and when I want to help them. And if it's not that way, then I don't want to help. And a lot of firefighters might only want to help on the fringes. I want to cut the roof. I want to cut the car. I want to flow the water. I want to force the door. But I don't want to actually like connect emotionally with anybody. Right. That's not how I want to help. And that's 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 more personal. That's you saying how you want to help as opposed to like people have needs. We want to be there. We want to care for people. They they dictate how we how we help them, right? Dude, <laughs> I'm trying to keep up with you and the cerebral bend that this has taken, which I'm already in love with. And then the comments coming in, uh, this is yeah, straight fire out the gate. This is already fire. Checking in from Steve Kaiser. Hey, welcome, brother, from down under. Uh, put your pin down, Corley. I'm pretty sure the note taker has this. Uh, Dirk Janiak said, quoting Jordan Peterson, can get you into trouble in Canada nowadays with a laughing emoji. Uh, Scott is one of the most intelligent guys I know in the fire service. He's not just tactics. Um, he's also meditation. Uh, I love it, man. I love it, brother. No, absolutely. And we touched on a few things already. Ready mode all the time isn't sustainable. No. The, war- the warrior thing. But go ahead with the ready mode. Yeah. So again, if you're always in ready mode, I mean that we could talk about it from a biological perspective, right? Like all, all the adrenaline and cortisol and and heightened and living in that state. And then, you know, it's going to affect your, uh, it'll actually, 
it'll actually affect your ability to sleep. It'll affect your ability to think. It'll affect you physically. So you're actually not, as much as you want to be effective and ready all the time, the way you're actually behaving is not allowing you to be that, right? So it's almost that idea of like work hard, you know, and rest hard. Like you have to be able to flip, you have to be able to flip the switch. Like you have to be able to take care. If you want to do this for a career, if you want to be super effective and the best firefighter you can possibly be, like, why wouldn't you want to be able to do it for the longest period of time? Right. Why would you want to shorten that in any way? Right. So if you want to do that, you have to be able to rest and recover and recuperate. You have to be able to process stuff in your brain, right? And the more you do that, the more you balance yourself back out and then you're ready to go again. Like this is all about being on the trucks, right? And doing the work. So let's let's stay, actually stay ready to do this. I love it. Let me ask you this because you you touched on it already and this is something I, I, I struggle to admit, but we're getting long in the tooth, me and you. We're, we're approaching the tail end of our, of our arc, our story arc. Um, yeah, don't remind me. Yeah. Love it or hate it, but it's the truth. What, what are we, uh, is it, is it art? We've created or we've contributed to the, the current state of affairs. So what are we doing or what should we be changing or how should we be changing the narrative? The dialogue. Yeah. The, the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think what you do here and what I try and do and what we're doing tonight is the, is a huge part of that, right? It's, it's, it's having the conversation. And, you know, as much as we contributed, I think I, we got to touch back in. I think we straddle two generations. So we were, you know, brought up in a certain way and then we're seeing change happen. And I think we're looking at both. And it, maybe sometimes we feel like we don't even really know if we fit in one or the other. Right? The, uh, yeah, one or the yes. I think I've had that experience a lot of my career, but and, and I think I wanted to feel a part of this and, and fitting in. So I think these two things sort of collided in my brain and that's why. You know, and, and I've always been kind of an empathetic, compassionate, caring, you know, uh, easily accessible to my emotions kind of person. So I think being able to to, you know, and have the grit as well. So I think being able to tie the two together allowed me to be, you know, more of who I am. And I felt more like I was actually being a firefighter and caring and helping. I had a lot of situations in real time on the job where this played out. And, it, and actually in episode 56, I talked to a really good friend, Wendy Lund, and I tell the story about a call, which I won't hear, I mean, for the sake of time, and it's not necessary. And if the people want to hear the call, they can listen to the, to the episode. Um, but I talk about how, so if you, if you stay disconnected, right? A lot of guys on calls, they want to like stay disconnected. I put a barrier up, I put something up between me and the person because I need to focus on the work and I need to get it done. I think if you stay disconnected, uh, all you're left with after the call is the trauma and the and you know the the tragedy of the call. Uh, I think if you're if you can actually connect emotionally with the people and be there for them, especially in the times where there's fatals mm-hmm. or even when you showed up, there's nothing that can be done. I think in those times, it's super important that you can feel like you're giving something, right? being there with the, with the loved ones when their other loved ones can't be there to care for them. Like there's still something to do. I think that is the thing to do, right? We can be there and care for and love people when their loved ones aren't there or they don't have the capacity to care and love for them. So mm-hmm. then when you leave these terrible calls, of course they're tragic. Of course you still have to process it. Of course, even if you emotionally connect, it might be difficult for you, maybe more difficult for you to face a lot of it. But now when I look back on difficult calls where I did that really, really well, I feel really good about who I was on that call to Mm. those people. That's what I draw from that call. And that call makes me feel good about who I was. 
the situation of the call doesn't make me feel good. You, you get what I'm saying? I'm not no, stuck. Absolutely. Absolutely. Trauma. I'm stuck with on that call. I showed up. I loved and cared for these people. That's what this is about. And it makes me feel good. And then I can actually move on and do that again for more people. Mm. No, that's powerful, brother. Mm. Are you ready for your first question from the audience? Yeah, let's do it. All right. They're coming at you. Um, James Kirk wants to know what or who influenced you to be so kind and open to rookies and invest so much energy into making them better. I know I've personally benefited from your mentorship. Hmm. My man. Wow. Uh, yeah, that means a lot for, for you to ask that Kirky. Um, yeah, I remember when I went into the, uh, when I went into the training division, came off the floor, off the trucks, went in the training division for a few years. Um, you know, when I saw that there were a few people that were very, uh, very hard, uh, um, sort of, yeah, harsh on people, sort of that military approach, right? Yeah, tough and, love, coaching. Yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there was much love there. It was more just of like a military uh, approach. Just and rough it really resonate with me. Okay. And I thought about, you know, I thought about myself in that, in as a student and how I would want to be spoken to right and how i would want to be brought up and again I, I wanted to ensure that um you know people knew that this job was really important and never wanted to soften that but i knew i wanted to i wanted them to leave the the rookie program um knowing how what their expectation was in this job knowing how difficult it was um but knowing that they were supported in the proper way to uh, to be the best they can and i also thought too that if if we're really hard on people all the time, you know, it's very easy to them, for them to say, well, those guys are dicks or those guys don't know what they're talking about or they have a bad attitude about it. Right. Right. And if they weren't supported in the proper way, then they can say, well, I wasn't supported in the proper way. I wasn't given what I was get, should have been given. Like there's all these excuses. But if we actually treat people with respect, if we actually try and as individual to an individual, like find the way to reach them, teach them in the way that they need to be taught. You know, but but at the same time holding them accountable, then it's all on them. Like we literally gave them what they needed. Like we gave them the account of the accountability, the, the expectation, but we also understood them and scaffolded them and tried to build them up. So now there's no excuses, right? You were given everything. Now it's all on you. So I think you can actually hold people more accountable if you treat them with respect and try to reach them in the way that they they should be reached as a human being than if you treated them, you know, like an asshole the whole time. So I think I just, it was just more of me seeing myself in their shoes and wondering how uh, I would like to be treated and reached. Uh, and then, and yeah, trying to remove the excuses and the barriers and then seeing how it played out. And so far it, it's been uh, really good. And not to, not to oversimplify it, but really just kind of a golden rule of as a rookie, how would I want to be treated and treating people that way? Yeah. Uh, but like, like, but we have to have that balance of, well, it can't be, yeah, the rookie can't be dictating 100% of what Agreed. And it's Agreed. Like, it's about, no. Yeah. It's about us finding that, again, that middle path, that balance of like, th this is not a joke. So this, these are the standards. Right. right. And I, and I think honestly, if you dig into it, like, I think most, I'm, I'm, very broad brush generalization, but saying most people want to know the standards so they can crush it. And that's yeah. how they want to be treated. And that's how they would treat other people. If that makes sense, what I'm saying. Yeah. And honestly, if you, if you bubble wrap people, if you, if you're like, okay, then you're putting yourself in this position of saying, 
I don't think you're capable. Right. Like, I think I need to bubble wrap you. Like disempowering them. It's, 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 it's actually the most disrespectful thing you can do to somebody. You're saying that I don't think you're strong enough to meet this standard. I don't think you're capable. So from my position of power, I need to bubble wrap this situation for you so you can survive it. It's actually super disrespectful. Like, so I think, yeah, people want to be challenged. They want to be challenged. They probably wouldn't be showing up. I hope they wouldn't be showing up. They didn't want to be challenged, but there's a way to challenge people and do it in a respectful way. Respectful and showing them you still care. You you're challenging them because you care. And that's that beautiful melding of both worlds. And the key is if you can show them that you are, this isn't just words, right? The person they're seeing in front of them, like you demo all the skills, you can flow and move, you can force doors, you can throw ladders, right? They, there's, you know, they can talk to other guys and know that you've run calls and you've put this in play in real, like in real time that you can do the job. Like the credibility matters. This isn't, again, the only way that we, we truly reach people is if we have integrity and we have credibility. Mm. So it's been huge for me. And I, again, you talk to it and I, I speak to it too. Like no one's saying we're perfect at all this, right? Like we're just trying as best we can, but um, you need to be functional and be able to do the thing <clears throat> and you can do that. And then you can show people you can do it in this balanced way and you can be respectful and you can be hard on them, man. Like the, the, what bubbles up from that is like, how can that not be good? Right. No, that's beautiful, man. <laughs> uh, I absolutely love it. Um, I have quite a few questions to choose from here. This is beautiful. Kyle is, hey, keep your questions coming. I promise you Kyle will grab them. I promise you I will throw them at Scott. Um, Dirk Janiak says, do you think that we, as fathers in parentheses, as fathers, mothers, as society in general, have failed to teach the younger generation to deal with adversity and disappointment? Oof. (laughs) There you go. Now we're, we're going to solve some societal issues. Right, right on. That, that's incredibly tough because, yeah, we do look at how we were raised and how things are now. Um, we're, yeah, we're living, again, straddling two generations. I spoke about that earlier on. You and I are having that feeling in the fire service. And I feel like I have that feeling, you know, as a parent too. Sure. Um, I think a lot of it is we're we're really things are happening so fast. I think we're all really figuring it out in real time, especially with with you know the internet and access to social media. And uh, I think a lot of it is overwhelming. I think we're we are trying the best we can. Uh, again, uh, society being divisive, and we're you know we're all in echo chambers, and we're all um, getting different stories. Um, you know, we're all trying to plant our flag on things. Again, I think if we if we can apply some of this, like I said, this for your professional career and your personal career, if you can try to apply some of this tough plus love idea, this grit and vulnerability, and you know, emulate like emulate it in people, and also uh, be an example and model it for your kids. Um, you know, we're going to be doing the best we can. I think it's a difficult time. I struggle with it hard just like everyone else is right now i don't have the exact answer like dirk i wish i had an answer for you and if if we did we could make a lot of money off of it but um i don't so i i think we're all doing the best we can we can given the circumstances i think a lot of us are confused as it is with the world ourselves so to try and explain it to a child is even harder i love it man uh taylor watson coming at you says scott what is your driving factor 
for opening yourself up for mentorship? Uh, just because I know that there are people, and you know, maybe we'll get to this with Mount Rushmore at the end there that that have that have been that for me, right? right. So again, I've I've had it modeled for me. Um, you know, I actually got really disenchanted, um, you know, kind of disenfranchised when I first joined the service because, um, you know, I even though I'm second generation, my dad never really like fully exposed me to the service. Like it was always there, and I always knew what he did. He taught me the work ethic and the responsibility, and that that was in his professionalism. I saw that, but it wasn't, you know. Um, uh, embedded in it. Right. So I kind of still had this ideal of like everybody that's in the fire service is going to be this certain way. And then, you know, that's a very naive way to, to feel like at 23 years old. Right. And then you get in and you realize like, Oh, uh, you don't even like people. Why are you here? Or, you know, you know, you're here just for the paycheck or, you know, you seem pretty disgruntled. Like what's, and I kind of, it kind of certain, you know, the, the curtain gets pulled back and you realize the wizard's just a guy pulling some levers. Right. So, right. And then, but then as you mature, you realize that this, this is just people and we're, we're again, we're the culture that of our, of our society, just in an industry. And it's the same in every industry. Right. And then, you know, I, I just happened to be able to be lucky enough to be aligned, to find people and align myself with people that were the firefighters that I feel like I was going to try and be. And if I could even be half of what they are, I'd be successful. So I think that's where that came from. So then I had, I finally realized we talked about getting a bit longer in the tooth, right? You, you start to see some of these guys retire and you look around and you're like, Oh shit. Like I'm yeah in them now. Right. Yeah. So then I felt that responsibility of like, well, I better, I can either fade into the background and, 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 you know, not do anything and be a disappointment, you know, honestly to myself and other people, or I can do my best to try in some small way to step up and be what other people need. And then I really wanted to, I really wanted these to be able to get where I was in like half the time. Right. And especially now with all the information we have and how much we can share, like really, man, you can get good really fast in this job if you really dig, dig deep into it. Um, so I wish I had, you know, even more of that when I first got on. I love it. So many coming in. Uh, I wanted, uh, how phrases I like this. I like this. Excuse me. You sent this to me and I wanted to bring it up to you. How phrases like kid calls are the worst. They're yeah. well-intentioned, but can cause more harm than good. Yeah. So again, I, I think I talked about that in the beginning about how I think the old school practicality of like trying to harden people up and even phrases like kid calls are the worst. And we still hear them now. And I, again, I think they're well-intentioned. I think they've, these Firefighters have been on these calls and they've been really, really hard for them to process, right? So as much as they can, you know, warn you and try and set you up for success, like, okay, listen, this is going to be hard. Just be wary. And especially if you have kids, this is the way it's going to be. But my feeling is, and just personally experiencing it, I think the more we hear kid calls are the worst, kid calls are the worst, kid, you keep hearing it, you keep telling yourself that. And then all of a sudden the tones drop and it's a, it's a kid call. You're already primed to think it's going to be the worst. You're already set up to experience the call in, in what is going to be the worst. Right. So right. I think you're doing yourself a disservice by already predicting that it's going to be really, really brutal for you to process. And then if you want to flip it, which we should always do with things, always flip the perspective and see it from the other side. If you go to the call and you're not affected by it, then you're like, what is wrong with me? Right. Like, am I a monster? Like right. all, everybody tells me these calls are the worst and I feel okay. What's wrong with me? 
So I think that phrase and phrases like it, I think it screws you either way. So what's the solution? Don't offer a problem if you don't have a solution, right? Okay. The solution is to take calls as they come. Just take it as they come. We can all read the critical incident list of, of calls and, uh, you know, the call that might bother you might not be on that list. Just literally take the calls as they come. And if they affect you the day of, a week later, a month later, a year later, five years later, then deal with it. Face it, deal with it, process it, work through it. And I think if we just take the calls as they come and take our emotions and, and the problems that we encounter with them as they come and just deal with them, I think that's the proper way and the healthiest way to, to, to deal with it. Yeah. I think Alan Glukowski said unnecessary hype. And yeah. Just, yeah. Don't, just don't set yourself up. It might not be the worst. It, and it, it could still be tragic and graphic, and but you might process and be okay, right? No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Had a, and I'm going to run this by you. This is completely off topic. I'm, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here for a second. Uh, had a crew make a call. And the way it was described to me, because I was not on the call. So let me be very clear. I was not on the call. But it was described to me by one of the lieutenants that was on the call. He's like, there's calls that you will think about for the rest of your career. It's a once in a career call that's going to that's gonna, that's gonna stick with you. I heard about it. So I ran by just to, if people know me, know I'm very, very passionate about looking out. I always tell people, this is one of my go-tos, and, I, and, and I'm very blunt about it. I said, you will never eat a shotgun, and I will be able to say, I checked on you before that happened. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, that's one of my mantras. Yeah. And so anyway, I run by the station just to talk to him, and uh, I'm, I'm a blunt person. And I realized this. I went and said, hey, you guys went on a fucked up call. How are you guys feeling? That's how I, that's how I approached it. Yeah. And then afterwards, I talked to the company officer. I said, hey, how can I do it better? He's like, dude, you're really blunt. <laughs> like like a lot of them are feeling like they have to say a blunt an answer. Right. And, and it, was like a, it was like a gut check to me. I'm like, man, I, I do that for the shock value of saying it's okay to talk about sure. this. We need sure. – so I don't know. I don't even know why I brought it up other than uh, – Well, I think we're all going to have – we're all going to have our approach, right? And I think if people know us as individuals – um, you know, we all have a unique perspective that we bring to the fire fire department, right? We're we're all the same in a lot of ways, but we're also very unique in our own individuality, which is great. Like we need that. We can't all be the same. So right. I think if people know you for long enough and they know your intent, like intention is everything. Right. right. If they know your intent, they know that that's what's emanating from you and why, why then how you approach it, the words maybe shouldn't matter quite as much. Sure. Um, you know, individuals could say like, hey, you know, it's... If you would, if you approach it this way with me, it might be re- uh, received a little better. That's fine. Absolutely, right. I'm, I'm not all about this is the way I am, and you just got to accept it. Like, sure. I want to adapt, but I think, yeah, I think if people know you and know where you're coming from, then I think the intention is felt, and and that'll be that'll be okay. And and I know, should qualify the company officer who gave me the feedback because it was after the fact. And I asked him, I said, "Hey, how can I be better?" And he told me, he said, he says, "I've known you for a long time, Chief." He goes, "I know where you're coming from." He goes, right. "The young guys in there." They only know you as chief. Yeah. And you got to figure out a different way to talk to them. And I was right. like, it was a gut check. It really was. Cause anyway. Yeah. I, I, and I think you, you mentioned there about, you know, no one's going to eat a shotgun kind of on my watch. That was, I think that's what you were, the way you were phrasing. No, it. no, absolutely. I, t- I use that as a shock value. Uh, yeah. Hopefully. No, I know you do. Um, so I, I, I just like to offer something on that too. I think, because, you know, I've, my department and myself, like we've lost people and people close to us for various reasons. And, I've had to struggle with that too, about where we fit in with all that. And I, I really, 
you know, and I've struggled with my own, uh, you know, mental health issues as well. So I'm, sure. I've been close to this, so I can speak about it from a personal perspective as well. But suicide's super complex. Like it's super complex. So we have to see ourselves. I think the fire service and the fire family is like we're one small piece of a jigsaw per- puzzle of that person's life, right? They've got their friends and family. They've got their their groups they're a part of. There's all these other things that are. T- they've got their past. All these things are touching that person still. So we may not be, even if we do lose somebody, you know, we may not be the reason why. So I think as long as we know we're doing, and I mean this, like the most we can possibly do for them. Right. Within our purview, like how much we can possibly reach them. I think then we can have at least the peace of mind to know if we happen to tragically lose somebody that we did what we could. But all these, we don't have to sit in the funeral and own it and go, I would have, could have, should have. I wish I could have, would have. Right. And we realize that there's a lot of other reasons that people, even though they have all the help within that small jigsaw puzzle, there's a lot of other reasons people take their lives. So I think we need to have that. We don't want to carry the entire weight of losing people on us because it's not, it's actually not fair and it's not true. Right. But we do carry the weight of what we own for doing our part. And I hope it didn't come across that way because the reason I say that, and I, it was a conversation with someone I've known for 20 years today. And I told him, I told him, I said, again, I'm being very graphic when I say this. I said, you're not going to stick a pistol in your mouth and me uh, after the fact say, I did not check on you. Right. I said, I said, you may still do it. I said, but I will know when I checked on you and asked if everything was okay. And, yeah. and, and, and he laughed because that's firefighters and what we do. Yeah. And he said, yeah, but I told you I was okay. So there's nothing you can do about it. You know, and and yeah. and so I want to be very clear. It, it it's the shock value is one thing and then the other part of it is saying it's putting it out there because I'm being very real about it is yeah. and it and it's almost selfish in the fact of I'm trying to assuage my conscience. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think we I think we all want to do what we can. We all want to feel like we are doing what we can, right? Okay. And and knowing that after the fact, we did what we could. And there are a lot of things we can do. And, and some of them are super simple. Just like, you know, there's that idea. And I, it, maybe it's going to sound like a snowflake term, but that idea of holding space for somebody. Like, that's that's literally like you don't have to have a solution, right? You may not even have to say a lot of words uh, to somebody. But just being in, being in the same space as them or being on the phone with them and letting some silence be and just being present. Right. That's a lot. That's a lot of power in that, right? So. Um, these, are the, these are the softer things that I think we can do, like we can add into what we do. Um, and, and really, like, if we if we're so capable, if we think we're so awesome, why are we not capable of doing both? Beautiful. I, I really didn't mean to hijack it and take it down a dark path. Uh, with all that being said, no, that, that's uh, important to talk about. It's really important to talk about. No, it's massive, man. 100 percent. Mm-hmm. Um, things that are in our fire culture that are unwritten, unnoticed and unsaid. Yeah. And I think, I, I think I added like, if we can pull these things into the light, like even if it's kicking and screaming not to be, uh, you know, we can acknowledge and address them to everyone's benefit. And I think part of this is what I'm talking about with the grit and vulnerability. Part of it is with the, you know, the kid calls are the worst part, part. I've really been fascinated with, with the, yeah, the things that I feel and I sense and I, and I sometimes hear, but it's like, it's, we don't, it's like, it's unwritten. It's unsaid. Um, the feeling of the culture, right? And when you, we know what the culture feels like. And I think we can shift that. And I think the only way we do that is by having more like harder conversations, right? 
And and I, again, I really thought the only way to ha- to to bring in almost like I don't, I don't want to say Trojan horse because I don't want to like people to think I'm trying to sneak it in. But I think the only way you get through to people who are already in the tough, stoic, hardened mindset is to show that you can you need to be the example to show that you are tough, hardened and stoic. But you are also capable of doing being soft and vulnerable and empathetic yeah, and passionate. Yeah. And then they'll be like, but wait a minute, like he's he's doing that, but he's also able to do this. Right. So you have to be the example. The only way we shifted is by being if this is the whole be the change in the world you want to see. Right. Like. That's why it's such a powerful quote. Um, and even if nothing shifts in your crew, in your department, even if we never shift this in the fire service, again, this ties back to knowing you did what you could. At least you did it the way you thought it, it could and should be done. Right. right. Um, and then you can have peace of mind when you retire that you tried. Right. You know, you tried. So it really does come down to modeling the way. You have to. You have yeah. to. And that means that, that means diving deep and heavily into uh, learning the job and the basics and all of the stuff that the giants on here have taught you and taught me like mm. that, that's mean, that has to happen. You have to be good at this job. And then you also have to be good at this other aspect of it. So, you know, what I would put to people is if you're already, if you've already got the tough and stoic and, you know, no emotions, if you've got that nailed down. If you've got that mastered, see this like a fire skill. If you've already got flowing and moving water down, down pat, then maybe you should start focusing on throwing ladders, right? Like, that might be the next thing you do because you've already got the one nailed down. You can maintain that with a couple reps here and there, but maybe you need to start refocusing on a, on a new path, right? So if you've already got the tough end of things nailed down, awesome. You're already 50%, 50% there. Start focusing on figuring out how to draw in more of the softer side of things and how to integrate it into your life and your job. And if you're on the soft end of things, well, you got an uphill battle with you too, because you've got a lot of grit and, t- and you know, toughness and accountability to just try and learn. So there's a challenge to both ends. If you find yourself on one end of the spectrum and you're not in the middle, then you've got some work ahead of you, right? Either way. I love yeah. it. Rob Thibbert says, what are your thoughts on improving the Canadian fire service from the culture, training, and performance? That's a very broad question. So you can go yeah. any direction you want with it. Yeah. Um, I think part of that is, uh, yeah, again, this podcast community, the social media community, I think if you curate your stuff uh, and the content you're listening to very well, and you're very picky about the quality of, of stuff that you're, um, you're taking in, I think that's really important. You're going to learn a lot and then you're going to pull, you know, like, you, like we call them nuggets, you're going to pull nuggets and or Kyle talks about it as gold, right? You're going to pull gold, squeeze gold out of people and, and, and then try and you have to actually try and integrate it, right? You have to try and integrate it into what you do. Um, that was part of the reason I wrote the 50 rules for the senior firefighter and I, why I wrote the 25 fire service instructor. And I say I wrote them, but I really kind of put them together. I had a lot of help from a lot of people. It wasn't just me. So I don't, I don't want to you know, take credit where I always give credit where credit's due. But that was kind of like, okay, if we're going to be senior firefighters, what does that mean? Like we talk about unwritten and unsaid. I, I, went looking for a list when I realized I was going to be a senior firefighter and I couldn't find one. Maybe there was one out there. I couldn't find it. A lot of, a lot of lists for rookies, a lot of expectations on rookies, not a lot of expectations on senior firefighters. Right, that right. was one of my first realizations that the expectation is a senior firefighter. The expectations grow as you're on. They don't decrease. Like right. there's more right. expectation on me than there is on a rookie because I've been here for longer and I should know better. Right. In here for a cup of coffee. They have the excuse of just being new. There's actually more expectation on me. It doesn't decrease. Right. So that was that was part of the, you know, the impetus to like 
okay, let's write it down. If I write it down, even if I don't live up to it every single day, at least I have it written down and I can't look away from it. And then, you know, that tied into the fire service instructor thing. If, if we need to have this standard, I think, of what it means to be a fire service instructor. And if we can live by these rules, right, in some small way, even if we're not perfect, and we can look back and go, I really failed on that aspect, and I really got to clean my act up again. Like, it's a reminder. I think that's what we do. So if you work on yourself as an individual, right, and we all work as our, on ourselves as individuals, and then we come in the next day or to the class, and we, and we approach it in that way, I think that's what's going to make the shift. And I think this is also this grit uh, and vulnerability thing. I think I honestly think it's a big thing for me to say, but I think this approach is what's going to help mitigate the mental health issues and the suicide problem that we have in the service. I'll go as far as to say that. I love it, man. I absolutely love the message. Please, please, please keep beating the drum. Uh, Andrew Fedorka, and I, I apologize, Thibert. Um, Smoothboard Cartel corrected me on my pronunciation. So uh, Andrew Fedorka said, what and how are some ways to deal with the generational gap? Yeah, I think we need, you know, what's cool about uh, us uh, in our generation is that and I try to think about it almost like with um, with music, right? Like we saw, or even, even TVs, like my grandmother had, you know, the TV in the piece of furniture. The oh, yeah. It, it was a piece of furniture, a wood furniture and the tube TV in there, right? You know, and then we saw, you know, LPs, we saw eight tracks and then we saw, you know, tape decks and then we saw, you know, CDs and then there was DVDs and now we're on MP3. So it's kind of cool that our generation might be the last one that saw the, you know, go from analog, you know, to, you know, to digital where we're at today. So, um, I think we've got that blessing that we're, we're adaptable and we can see the new and we can see the old and see the benefits to them. And so I think the generational gap is trying to understand that, um, you know, things are changing. And like I said, in the very beginning, like our society in the fires, our, our culture in the, in the fire service is our, is our culture from our society in general, right? We have to accept that. And it's, it's going to shift no matter what we do, because the people coming in are part of the society that, that, it's not, we're not our little like isolated bubble. We don't live in a vacuum, right? So we have to accept that. So I think a lot of it is acceptance. Um, but I think a lot of the things I'm talking about, about how you approach people, that's something that doesn't go out of style. You want to talk about traditions in the fire service? Maybe we can have a tradition of just approaching people in the way that we're talking about today. And I don't think that's ever, every generation is going to appreciate that. Right. That's what spans generations. So I think we got to hold on to that. Um, yeah. And then be willing to, uh, you know, have your an open mind to be adaptable and look at what's new and realize that sometimes things that are old are still way better. Like just be just be flexible and malleable, right? And move. So, um, and I think that'll that'll come through in the way that you approach and talk to people, and it's going to come through in how you teach. Love it. I'm going to try and pull up real quick. I'm keep talking because I'm I'm pulling up your thing you sent me because Dirk. Uh, in fact, I'll just ask Dirk to do it. Uh, he he already did. Never mind. He's already ahead of me. He posted the fifty rules for senior man as a link. Awesome. So if, yeah. uh, Dirk already posted it in Facebook. Uh, you can see the fifty rules for the senior firefighter there. And then before I could even pull it up, he posted the twenty five rules for the fire service instructor. Yeah, so, they're both on the website there, and there's um, there's a a reference a resources page as well. And I've I've hyperlinked a bunch of stuff. I mean. I've got to update it, but there's a lot of stuff that I think is relevant on there. And I actually put a credits page on there and I, I, man, I really got to go through your podcast and just take all the names and just put them on that page. But I've been trying to build a credits page of like, listen, 
We've got to give credit where credit's due. Here are all the names that everyone. It's should. almost impossible to keep up with. Just, oh, my God. And there's not enough time in the day. It's just. No, it's, I, I honestly got to sit down for a day and just like repopulate that with more names. But it, man, how encouraging is that, that I can't keep up with how many good yes. people that are, that are there. Like that's that's a positive thing. It's not like there's five names. and like, oh, my God, I wish there was more people. So Amazing problem for. It's the, an amazing problem to have. Yeah, let's let's yeah. keep that wave going. Um, Kyle Simmons is asking in reference to firefighter suicide, do you think the topic of suicide awareness and prevention should be taught in fire academies? How do you feel? Yeah. Yeah. So my department has had a peer support team since 94. So I think we're really, you know, we, and we've always been kind of on the cutting edge there uh, with mental health. No doubt. No doubt. Um, And, you know, for the longest time, uh, Every recruit class, and they, and they have now for quite a long time, uh, they get a, a talk from the peer support team. Uh, they even do one for the uh, recruits' families. Right. So there's a separate talk for the families. Wow. Um, we were delivering at one point, the uh, which was the Road to Mental Readiness, which is now called the Working Mind. There's tons of programs out there, and I think they all have their value, and they're all kind of trying to do the same thing. But that's, you know, whole department got that as well. And then every recruit class gets that. So the discussion about mental health, the stuff that we're talking about right now, um, our department definitely gets it. And you can never start talking about it soon enough um, because the more that you can give them the perspective and normalize the whole thing. And this is just the way that, that we do business. Right. We we see difficult things and we process them and we deal with them. We support each other and we get through it. And we move on and we do better. So, yeah, the earlier, the better. Love it. Uh, Cody Brooks wants to know, what do you do to to decompress and clear your mind on shift or after a stressful call? Yeah, so so that would all, it would all depend on the heaviness of the call. And there's obviously ones that you're involved with as a crew where everyone's affected. Um, whether you stay or go, that the, so my litmus test for where I'm at or where our crew is at is if we get back from the call, we decom, we clean up. And I think, could I run that call again right now? Mm. Yeah. If I could not run that call again immediately right now, we, can, we can't say we're not going to have one. That's just, that's just as heavy. Sure. If I can't, then, then it's, I'm going home for the day. I'm done. Oh, wow. Because I'm, I'm not effective at that point. Right. right? I'm, I'm not going to be mentally, physically ready to be there for myself. I'll be a danger to myself. I'll be a danger to my crew and I'm going to be a danger and not be able to live up to what the citizens expect of me. So if I couldn't run that heavy a call, if I'm at, in that state, then I'm, I'm done for the day and we're going home. And our, and our department has been very, very supportive. Uh, that of was me. my next, that was my follow-up was how, very, how did you- very supportive. Like you guys are done. And you know what, there's been, there's been mm-hmm. crews where I've done talks with that, you know, say two truck haul, let's give the, the short notes on a two truck haul, bad call at around 1230 at night. Um, they called me and I came in and talked to them. And it was interesting because, uh, you know, you think, well, you're going to stay or you're going to go, right? And we had already had approval from the chief that they could go home if they wanted to. Um, and this is how you're always constantly learning and, and you need to listen to people. And there, the one crew is, you know, was down for the night and this other crew, we were in the kitchen and we're talking and they said, well, we really don't want to leave and go home. Like, you know, driving home now at 1230 and the key in the door, and we're going to disturb our families. They're going to wonder why we're home and it's going to upend everything. But we don't want to run any more calls tonight because this has been messed up and we're, we're tapped out. We're done. So we just want to be taken out of service for the night. We're going to go back, go to bed, sleep through the rest of the night, just get up in the morning with our crew, have our coffee, have our normalcy and normalize what we normally do and then go home. Right. And then, uh, you know, and they'll be able to take it from there. So 
that was a huge learning curve for me. I'm like, wow, okay, yeah, that's another thing you can do. You can stay or you can go, but maybe you can just be out of service. Maybe you're out of service for two hours, three hours, four hours. Maybe you're sure. out of service for 12, whatever you need. But I think the more we have so, yeah, self-awareness about what we need as individuals, I think the better we can be. So yeah, decompressing for me would be, and it's going to be all the things that I think many of us have talked about before, like, you know, get a workout in or just get a long shower, right? right. Change, your, change your uniform. Um, you know, swap your gear out, uh, sit and talk with the crew for a little bit, or maybe you need to call on the peer support team or someone you trust to come in and talk to you. Right. Um, you know, if, if you're going home, then make sure you're going home to somebody or you're going to talk to someone on the way home. Maybe you need silence on the way home. Maybe you need to go out and have a hike or a walk and get some fresh air. Like there's a lot of options. Right. And so it doesn't always have to be, um, you know, a therapy session or meditating. Like those are two hugely valuable things that people can do. But I'd say there's a lot of other ways to decompress and release and process. And I think the biggest thing people need to realize, too, is that you don't really start processing things for 24 to 72 hours. You should expect, you know, I had I had a couple difficult calls this last bunch of shifts. Like we had a, a person that jumped, uh, which was hard. And then we had two, two VSAs the next shift. Mm. You know, not to say that VSAs are bread and butter, but, you know, you add a bunch of them together and, you know, you have that suicide that you go to, too, and it, it adds up and. And I just knew that I was going to be kind of ruminating on it a little bit. And sure. then, well, that's normal. Eventually, if I keep normalizing it and doing the things I do, eventually I should see that dissipate. And so the litmus test for people should be, if you don't see that ease off in your mind over time, then you need to do something else. You maybe need to reach out to somebody, but it should abate and ease uh, over time. Mm. I'll kick it to Manny Barajas. He's coming at you. I love Manny. Manny the Manny, Barbarian. Manny the Barbarian. Uh, he said, Scott, as we get older physically, what have you changed in your routine for yeah. longevity in the yeah, fire service? For sure. Um, yeah. So when I first got on, I was running, uh, you know, combat challenge pretty like heavily right from recruit class and, and you know, and trying to and competing at a higher level. Um, and I realized even at that age, at like 23 to 27, 28, like that was beating my body up. Like there was some red lights I was feeling and. I knew if I kept doing it the way I was doing it, I was, I was in for a shorter career. And, you know, and I've had my injuries along the way too. Just last year, um, you know, coming up on a, a year or just passed in November, I tore my pec muscle right off my shoulder mm-hmm. um, doing some uh, firefighter survival drills. So, you know, I've had to recover from some injuries and, what, and I, I really worried this last time that, you know, at the age I'm at, is this it? Like, am I not, am I not going to be able to fully recover and, and be back to doing the job? But um. I think we need to be realistic about uh, what your body can do and be okay with, you know, going to physio and starting back with the five pound weights. Or um, for me, it's a lot of body weight work, right? It's a lot of body weight work. It's a lot of flexibility work. Uh, Yoga, a thousand percent yoga is for firefighters Um, uh, and drilling and then drilling with equipment. So, you know, throwing ladders with gear on, um, you know, using the equipment we use, flowing and moving uh, hose lines, like doing the work, right? So, do the work you can functionally whenever you can at work. And then also, you know, take care of the, of the aches and pains, address them properly. So, you know, Cairo, physio, massage, yoga, stay on it, man. Like if you get a yellow light, get on it. Don't ignore it. There you go, man. Phenomenal. Um, Andrew Fedorka again, coming at you. How are some of the ways to deal with the generational gap? Yeah, so I think that touches back to the. I think we got kind of asked a similar question before, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm, okay. So what I like, what I can add here is uh, what I thought about with recruits too is that 
they don't come in as a blank slate. Like recruits don't often come in as a completely blank slate, right? Like they've had, they may not have had all the life experiences you want them to immediately have when you came in, but maybe you didn't have all the life experiences you should have had when you joined either. Um, you got to listen to people. You got to have conversations, right? You know, I've had recruits come in that have Wayne works. They're master electricians. Like that's not my wheelhouse, right? Right like, on. So there's that, you know, my, one of my most recent rookies is a master electrician. Like you tell me, I can't learn anything from him. Are you, right. are you telling me that he can't tell us anything about anything that he's just supposed to sit down and shut up and, and we're We're going to be the bright lights that are going to inform him about the world and how firefighting works. Like, right. So there's always this give and take, right? Like I'm coachable as much as he is, right? I, I see when I'm the rookie and when I'm not. And I think it's a bad attitude if you think you're the senior firefighter and you're the senior firefighter across the board in every discipline. It's like, that's, you're an absolute joke if you think that's the truth. Like, you know, hazmat, I'm the rookie when it, you know, if I go to a hazmat hall, I'm the rookie for the day. Like whatever those guys say goes, like yeah. I go to, you know, you got to realize when you're the rookie and be okay with it. And you actually, and that's one of the rules. You should actually be seeking out opportunities to be the rookie, right? No, it's awesome. And I got, uh, I got to read you a couple of these. Uh, Smoothbore Cartel Kyle said, "Dude tore his pectoral muscle off of his bone. They are built different up north, bro." <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, so. I did all the right things. So you talk about age. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be stupid here. I'm going to do all the things I should do. I'm going to do the recovery properly, whatever physio says I'm going to do. I'm going to not push this. I'm not going to get back on the bench and try and push plates. Like let's do this. And, and I just accepted the process and then, and then worked the process. And then within four months, I was almost back to normal six months, hundred percent. Now I don't even think about it and I'm right back to what it was. So it is doable. Yeah. Nice. I love it. All right, I'm moving on to book or books that you think firefighters should be reading. It does not have to be firefighter books. It's just yeah. what do you think firefighters should be reading? Yeah, and again, with, with all the giants you've had on and, and the list that they've given, I would echo that 100%. Like, right. So I'm going to go the other way, especially since we're talking sort of about mental health and the grit and vulnerability. So I'm going to start with uh, The Body Keeps the Score. Nice. Bessel Vanderkock. So uh, so that's about how traumatic experiences reshape your body and your brain. That That is must read or must listen material for every first responder mm. going. Like I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. It's all, and that's what Dina Ali like talks about it over and over and yeah, over. And, and, and it's on my list, but I have not got to it yet. So yeah, the audio book's great. Right? I have to apologize to Dina and say I need to, but it's on yeah. the list. We go ahead. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Dina. I've had her on, and uh, shout out to Rick George too. Right, like right on, right on. Trailblazers in the mental health world. Like, oh my god. Um, next one would be uh, three sixty five Dow. So Dow is spelled T A O, like the Dow or Taoism. Okay. Daily meditations, right? Um, that's by Deng Ming Dao. And then, so that's about sort of how to be, this is about balance. Dao is all about balance, right? So how to be in harmony with yourself and the surrounding world. So it's really cool. Like it's 365, like every day there's one page, it's a quote or a poem, and then a perspective on that word topic or focus of the day. So it's a really super, it'd take you two minutes to read it. And every morning you can read one and do one each year. And I've actually started back on the book again. That's nice. a really cool one. Nice. Um, two more, uh, standing at the edge. So finding freedom where fear and courage meet. Uh, that's Joan Halifax and Rebecca Solnit. Um, this really speaks to how to respond to suffering uh, and how to experience the full range of human emotions. So if you want to dip your toe into like 
this balance thing that I'm talking about. That's a really great one to do. Um, and then I'll go full Canadian on, on us here and, uh, and do an astronaut's guide to life on earth by Chris Hadfield. So Canadian astronauts journey to being the commander of the international space station, um, and how to think like an astronaut and then how to renew your commitment to pursuing your own dreams. So it, it's, I'm almost done it and it's a, it's a banger. It's great. I love it. <laughs> and not a single, well, body keeps the score has been suggested before, but other than that, which you started off with every one of those is a brand new suggestion. I believe. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So it takes us to the point, my favorite point of the show. I, the book question is probably my favorite question of the show that's consistent, but I love the uh, five questions for firefighters. It's been around since the beginning. It's now in current version 3.2. There might be a, uh, an addendum to that, but current version 3.2, there are no wrong answers. There are only your opinions and the points are arbitrary. They're assigned by me with the beautiful help of the amazing audience. So my question for you, Scott, is are you ready for the third iteration of the five questions for firefighters? Bring it. Here we go. Number one, what is the skill that has carried you through your fire service career? So I'm going to say being open-minded. I'm not married to skills, techniques, tactics, or perspectives. Um, I don't think you can judge something until you've truly learned it or used it. Um, and I've seen a lot of people try a skill and say it sucks when in fact they just suck at the skill because they just tried it. Hmm. Um, so there's always room to adjust and adapt and improve. And that can be physical or mental. Um, and we also need to be open-minded enough to go back to something old if the new thing isn't what's cracked up to be. So I think if you're open-minded and adaptable and flexible and look at things, uh, realistically and practically, I think that's going to be a, a great skill that'll help carry you. And it's helped me a lot. Dude. I love it. I love uh, open-mindedness, curiosity, the ability to look at someone else's point of view. Don't have to accept it, no. but the ability to be open to it. You know what I'm saying? Examine it and say, eh, maybe not. Or yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty arrogant to think that any one of us has got it all figured out. Hector Ross said, yes, with four S's, three exclamation points and a max points. So uh, me and Hector absolutely agree. Max points on number one. I love open-mindedness, man. I absolutely love the answer. Um, Dan Bender setting the bar. Uh, number two, it's job town. It's time. You're in route and responding. You can think back to the scene from Backdraft. Backdraft is an American fire service movie. I know the, I know the movie. <laughs> and I, I'm trying, I'm trying to, uh, to, to not watch the second one. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, what song are you playing in route? Yeah, I went back and forth on this one. Um, so I'll give one and I'll give you what the honorable mention was. Uh, so okay. I'm going sp- to sprinkle a little Radiohead in your uh, playlist there and go with uh, Body Snatchers. Body Snatchers, Radiohead. Uh, actually, the title of the song is, you know, it ties into the fire service there. It's a little bit of grabs, right? It's a little Vez there. So I like it. The, the runner up was uh, The Pot by Tool. That's Wow, it. some industrial metal on both sides. I like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like it. You can't, you can't go wrong. So yeah, if you haven't heard that track, uh, check it out. I'll give Max points just for tool body snatchers. Yeah, one hundred percent. I love it. Uh, number three, what is and and also there is a Spotify playlist where everything is being added in and it's being sprinkled, so uh, you can find it on the Firehouse Vigilance discussion and also in the Vigilantes. They got links for it. If you need it, just ask. Uh, what is your favorite 
fire service tradition. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little liberty here, and I'll, I don't want to use the word favorite because it seems like it's something you that you love. I want to come at, at this from a point of like a thing that I really admire, a thing that makes me feel like is very unique to the fire service, and that like is yeah that I really admire. And to me, it's the way we honor our fallen. Mm. Right? So the way that we do firefighter funerals. You know, again, we never want another one to happen. It's again, that's why I'm not saying favorite, but like I, I that, yeah, right. that you're there, and and that's when you realize what this is all about. Like us as a family, you know, we're what we're going through. It it makes you realize how dangerous the job is. It puts a lot a lot of things come into crystal clear focus when you're there, and there's and there's a real special way that we honor the people that we lose. So I'm going to say that's my that's my tradition that I I love. That's the tradition you honor because I, I get what you're saying. You don't want to say favorite. Yeah, but, but I think it's. I haven't heard. I don't know if anyone's mentioned it, and I think it's a special, special thing. So I just wanted to take the opportunity to like vocalize it. Very powerful thing. I, I can't think of a time when uh, the pipes start playing "Amazing Grace." Right. Where I don't want to start tearing up, man. Yeah, it's I like, don't want to hear them ever again. But every right. time you do, you're like, it's just it it cuts you. So it's phenomenal, like, phenomenal answer even though the rephrasing has to happen because you don't want to say favorite. I get it completely. Yeah. The honor in there. I absolutely love the answer, which takes us to the clock. The (laughs) one minute. Now I have to explain this again, like backdraft. Uh, Mount Rushmore is a mountain. In, I know what Mount Rushmore is. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for rolling with my. I probably know way more about American uh, <laughs> culture than than you do about Canadian culture. I can Thank you for rolling with my terrible jokes. Uh, and you're right. You are correct. Yeah. Um, the Eiffel Tower is this. Yeah. yeah. Right. No. Um, on the clock, the four people that you would put on your Mount Rushmore of the fire service. Sam has the clock, and it is time. So go. Okay. Uh, my dad. He's a retired. Um, Division Chief of Communication, started as a volunteer, went full-time on the same department I'm on, never pushed a job on me, always there, admire his work ethic. He had a bad accident on the trucks and had to reinvent himself, uh, and he was always deeply involved with council in our communities, and he had a deep commitment to his family, so mm-hmm. him for sure. Uh, two uh, firefighters I work with, uh, retired District Chief Peter Zeus-Reed and Captain Jared Newcomb. They both have like been, we've both been through a lot of personal, professional, physical, mental challenges together. And they've always been there for me and they've taught me a lot. And I've watched them raise their children and also, um, you know, about how they've approached the job. So those for sure. And lastly, Andy McDonald, always incredibly supportive for the combat challenge, peer support team, honor guard, led a department through the national fallen firefighter Memorial weekend, huge personal, professional friend. And I'm going to recommend that people look up Stephanie's place. And Camp Faces, which is uh, for families and children in emergency services. Boom. It stalled at 15. I don't know. I think that's when you finished the four. Oh, okay. I think that's what what Sam's saying. Okay. I thought I had to fit in the names and the explanations, so I was given the wrap. No, you did good. You did good. Dad, Reed, Newsom, McDonald. Newcomb. Yeah, Jared Newcomb. Newcomb, okay. Reed, Andy McDonald. Yeah. Love it, brother. And I love the reason why. I really do. I love the reason why. Yeah, all the, gi- all the giants that everyone has mentioned, again, I'll echo and amplify that all day long and showed it from the rooftops. But So I just decided to take it on from a personal perspective. No, no, and that's the that's the beauty of the question because you can go any – there's so many directions you can go. You can mix. You can match. You can say who's had the biggest impact on everyone, who's had the biggest impact on me, mm. um, I, my department, or, you know, brother, there's no wrong – that's what I love about the, the, the five questions. Yeah. 
I've had and, them all. I've had them all on the podcast, and the one with uh, with my dad was a special gift to him and me. So if anyone oh, wants I can only to imagine. hear more about all four of those people, you can go and check it out. Which episode? If you know, uh, not to put you. I don't spot. know the numbers off. Okay. Well, I, know, I know Peter was uh, number two, and then I think Jerry was around three or five, maybe. So, but they're all they're all in there. You can scroll. Okay. Through. Okay. Yeah. I love it. Which takes us to the final question. The question. It's the question that's been around since the beginning. Heavy fire. Searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on the VES? Yeah, so the where we work, uh, we don't do uh, engines, trucks. So uh, you could literally be in either of these situations on any given day. Um, and to have a preference for is really hard. And I get from everyone that's answered this uh, why that's really hard. Because it would be a, a privilege and it's, it's, it's always a privilege to be able to do both of these roles. But uh, if anybody knows me that knows me well, uh, I love flow and water. So I'm going to go, I'll take the nozzle all day long. There you go. And that officially uh, and officially makes it five for five max points. Um, and that officially <laughs> <laughs> that officially makes it 227 scraps in the books. Dude, congratulations. Brother, yeah, no, thank you for being a part of 227. Um, Scott Hewlett, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they do so? Yeah, um, IG. I'm I'm pretty regular on there, so just at Multiple Calls Podcast, uh, Multiple Calls at gmail.com would be the other way. Um, and if you want to go uh, through the website, you can too. So it's multiplecalls.squarespace.com, and you can find, like I said, both those lists are on there, the resources page and the credit page. Um, yeah, hit me up. I'm always down to talk shop. Yeah, happy to talk. Dude, to people. I love it. I absolutely love it. One of the best in the fire business, but one of the best in the podcasting business and, and just bringing more value to the fire service each and every week, uh, each and every month. And absolutely. So for me, go to firehousevigilance.com, be a vigilante. Uh, it's the cool kids club, five bucks a month. You can sign up for a year, whatever you want to do. Um, I will be posting the link to the after party where we get to go and roast Scott for his performance on the scrap. And we always say that and we never do it, but not the point. Um, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. Everybody's like, I'm here for it. And then we show up. We're like, you did so good, but <laughs> we never do it, but we always threaten to one thing. Uh, someday someone will show up. And we're just going to, ro- here's the deal. Uh, Brooksy, I'm serious. The last Canadian, which was a few weeks ago. Brooks. He, yes. He came in and completely roasted everyone. He, he <laughs> was like a flamethrower. He did, man. Nice, nice. He was armed and ready. Um, very proud of the vigilante. So I'll post this. I'll post the link as soon as the scrap is over. Um, very proud of this. The V50. I wanted to mention it real quick. If you want to make a change in your life, V50, man, it is the way to enforce habits, make a commitment. Um, you can find out more about it. It's something I do. It's something the vigilantes do. It's amazing. Uh, all that being said, next week, Gabe Solace, followed by Ben Flegel, and then Chief Craig High. 2024 is off to the races. We had Rob Fisher and then Scott Hewlett and then that coming up. So amazing time. Thank you, Scott Hewlett for being such an amazing guest. Can't wait to have you on. I look forward to it, bro. I really do. Uh, Vigilantes scrap after party. I'll post the link private group. Scott has agreed to be there and be roasted audience. All I can say is um, without you, the scrap does not exist. I mean, me and the guest could do and record and all that, but, What makes the scrap magical is you here 
asking questions and making it dynamic. And so I, I can never say thank you enough for doing what you do. Thank you for being here and thank you for tuning in live. I love you all. I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.